So 7.34, the great manipulator, the puppet master, even the real president. Some descriptions of Donald Trump's White House chief strategist Steve Bannon. Some of the comic portrayals of this former Navy officer turned news executive, among several titles, have drawn comparisons over here with impeached President Park Geun-hye's confidant, Chae Soon-sil. Bannon joined Trump's presidential campaign in August 2016 and has been one of his closest advisers, including amid the recent contentious refugee ban. Let's bring in Francis Stead Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So the temporary shutdown of America's refugee program and also the ban on travellers from some Muslim countries, how realistic is it that Steve Bannon was a key figure behind the plan? Well, I'm not a White House reporter, but um, you will see in reporting from the Washington Post and the New York Times that there's evidence, clearly, that um, that he was directly involved. But the expertise I have is really on the um, many recordings we have and been, have been able to review between November 2015 and August um, of the following year, when he was running Breitbart News Daily. And you can clearly see from his concerns there that this is exactly the kind of issue that he had in mind. He said at one point that the whole election would be about sovereignty, about who belonged in the country and who didn't. He talked frequently about um, the need to have strong borders, and in particularly apocalyptic terms about Muslim immigration. So I think you see throughout those interviews the very concerns he had that have now been realized um, in this uh, in these restrictions. Yes, so of course we can't say for certain who pressed the button on this, but it certainly fits Well, we can say that the Trump wrote the executive order, and there's some question of, of exactly how well he, he understood what he, what, he was, what he was doing, I guess. But no, it's clear that Trump wrote the executive order. Yeah, but whether Steve Bannon was the man behind that or not, um, it, it happens to fit his world view, which now Absolutely. we want it's, it's, you to help us well. with here, because you wrote an article, Why Even Let Him In? Understanding Bannon's world view and the policies that follow. So maybe we can start with a bit more background as to, as to who this man is who's become world famous. Yeah, fascinating. Um, he grew up as Irish Catholic in Richmond, just south of Washington. Um, he was clearly, from his brother's own account, a sort of pugilistic young man, graduated from a military school, um, went on into seven years of um, Navy service before joining Goldman Sachs as a banker, and made a lot of money there and later in Hollywood. Um, I think one of the interesting things is how influential his the, a period of his Navy service seems to have been. He... Um, in 1980, during the bungled attempt to um, bring back the Tehran hostages, he was at sea. And he came back from that and I think went, became very much um, disillusioned with Carter and a Reagan man. And then another key issue, I think, for him was the 2008 um, financial crisis when he saw his father's retirement funds plummet. Um, and that, you know, strengthened his anti-establishment, anti-banker um, feelings. And we literally heard his transition into political comments through a radio show that he was hosting. For example, when he said, we're at war with radical jihadis, but many other comments that we could pick up on as well. Very ap apocalyptic terms about, um, about uh, yes, Muslim immigration and um, being at raw, a war. Um, I think at one point he said that, that one of the big beliefs, one of the central organizing principles of the Breitbart site was that we're at war. Um, he talked about going into a major shooting war in the Middle East again. Um, he's talked about the sort of um, the decline of the West and the rise of both 
China and Islam. He talks about Christianity dying and Islam being on the rise. So there's lots of sort of cataclysmic um, language in how he speaks in those tapes. Yeah. And, you know, if he was influential over this immigration situation, one wonders whether he could be influential in helping to trigger some sort of conflict as and when it arises. But how significant is the decision by Trump to appoint Bannon to the National Security Council Principles Committee? Well, it's pretty much unprecedented. One of the things about this role um, of chief strategist is it is fairly ill-defined as opposed to chief of staff, which would be involved in hiring and things. So it's very much a personal um, advisor to the president who um, tends to have long-term views about strategy, about branding, this sort of notion of the permanent campaign and figuring out what the message is from the White House. Um, in terms of being on the National Security Council, I believe that, you know, Obama had a very series of very close advisors with David Axelrod and David Plouf. Axelrod sat in on some of these meetings, causing concern to some of the people who are in the national security world, but he wasn't a, a player, and our understanding is that Bannon has a role in which he will be a player. I mean, this is where we start wondering whether there are valid comparisons with our own situation here in South Korea, and I know you're not an expert on that, but the presidential confidant here, Chesun Shil, portrayed as calling shots behind the, the president. How much power, though, is a chief strategist allowed to have. The, the big problem here was Chesson Shill was an unofficial confidant, whereas you know Bannon obviously has this actual position, but if it was revealed that he was making all these decisions, would that be a major problem? Well, I think Trump has said he's calling the shots. Um, he's the person who signs the, signs the orders. Um, he's the person on the front line, but many presidents going back, I think, to probably Nixon have had close advisors um, think about Bush and Karl Rove. So it's not unprecedented to have somebody there who works very, very closely with the president. What's particularly unusual in this case is that neither Bannon nor Trump have had political experience before. Um, Bannon uh, has not had any foreign policy experience, um, apart from, of course, being in the Navy for those years. Um, so that's what's, what's very different in this case from before. Yeah, as you said, though, Donald Trump has been very sensitive repeatedly on Twitter, and, and he did hit back with that exact quote you just said, I call my own shots. Uh, of course, he can say what he likes on Twitter, but do you think that um, the reality w will now start to shift in that direction, though, that he'll be very keen to show some actions to back up that statement? Well, the kinds of actions we could look for are ones where we've seen indications that um, Trump and Bannon may think slightly differently. Um, one in particular, I think, on legal immigration, there's an issue over H-1B visas, which are the high-skilled um, entry visas, and they've often been used by um, Silicon Valley, Valley companies. And in these tapes, there's one particular exchange I go back to time and again where Trump is very pragmatic. He seems to be a person in these tapes talking about wanting to keep the best people in the country, wherever they come from. Um, he doesn't like the idea of people coming over to Harvard and Yale, getting great degrees, having great business potential, and then being forced because of immigration regulations to return and take their good ideas overseas. Mm. Bannon is far more of a nativist on this, and there's an exchange between the two of them where Bannon um, says, you know, I just don't like the fact that um, all the CEOs of he exaggerates that many of the CEOs in um, Silicon Valley are, are Asian. 
Um, it's an extraordinary statement, um, and it's, it, you see the two of them differing there, and Bannon saying, I'm to the right. So if we see movement on H-1B visas that seem, seems more Bannon, that would seem to be, you know, him pushing further than Trump would naturally have done in that direction. Again, that's speculation, but it's based on um, evidence we have from those tapes. Well, also supports that quote, why even let him in? Can, can you just remind us, anyone who's not aware, where that quote came from? So that was an interview with um, Ryan Zinker, who's now um, Trump's nim- nominee to be um, Interior uh, Secretary. Um, they were talking about uh, refugees back in, uh, this was probably November or early December 2015. Uh, it was also right after the um, Paris attacks. And Zinker was more sympathetic than Bannon was to, um, he, he felt there needed to be more checking. And, and Bannon suddenly says in the middle of this, this interview, why even let him in? Yeah, it's a striking statement. Now, coming back to another question uh, that you hinted at before, with uh, even the tension building up under Barack Obama, now sent to be seemingly accentuated under Steve Bannon, uh, is the presence of Bannon alienating top officials already? Would you suggest? I don't think Bannon has ever worried about alienating uh, people in the GOP. If you look back at those tapes, he is he is. Um, Establishment GOP is as much um, in his target as um, anybody on the left. So uh, I think he comes in um, with a sort of pugilistic approach. And, um, you know, we've seen McCain trying to make amends with Australia at one point after Donald Trump's calls and other things like that. So I don't think it's the least bit surprising if we see him, uh, you know, with sharp elbows. Now, if we look at the American public's thoughts on this, it is a divided picture. A Gallup poll at the end of last month showed nearly half of Americans, 47%, believed Trump was moving too fast with his policies. But 35% said the pace was about right and 10% said not fast enough. And those latter two percentages are often left out of the the headlines. Um, what, what, again, what's your view of the public perception of, of the Trump-Bannon combo and the way that they've been racing ahead? Well, I think very very mixed, as you said. I mean, I think there are, we've, we've certainly run stories about um, people who voted for Trump being glad that somebody, as they see it, is in control. Um, I think you get a very mixed view from voters. Obviously, you know, we've had this very divided um, population, you know, right through the election, so it's not surprising to see a divide now. Um, Again, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the Trump-Bannon team is, is, has elbows and will plow on, and I don't see them backing away from this sort of nationalist message quickly. Um, there was an incident last, let me think, last August, no, earlier than that, when um, Bannon, in an interview with Trump that's, that's in these recordings online, said to Trump, you know, uh, would you roll back on any of the things you're doing in order to make peace with the party? And Trump seems to think seems to suggest he might and then and then bannon pushes him and he says well no people people elected me on this you know because of what i stand for i'm not going to roll anything back so um that's i think where the two of them stand i think they'll plow ahead with these nationalists it's a very important distinction to make obviously uh, as we assess uh, whether donald trump is playing some sort of political game to please his supporters especially when you've got people with the conviction that you've already described right. in the form of steve bannon and you know some of the interesting things are we know that there's been concern among the gop from um tapes we've seen um about you know house members about their own re-election prospects to 
two years out, and then Trump has to think about his re-election four years out. We know he's already building his war chest for that. Um, so there are short-term concerns that they will be um, focused on. It's not necessarily your role to do this, but I'm just curious what your advice would be if, if uh, for example, South Korea or any other outside government was to view this situation and wonder how to deal with these men, um, wondering who they need to appeal to. Is it Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, James Mattis? Um, is it Rex Tillerson? Who, who are the key players, do you think? Well, obviously, Donald Trump's the main player, and he likes talking to people from overseas. So, um, and, and you're absolutely right. It's not my role to give advice. Um, I have spoken to Trump directly, and my, my, my main, uh, the main takeaway I have from that is be prepared. He breaks the conventions you're ex- you expect. He makes um, many conversations personal, which is surprising when you're a reporter, and I'm sure he does the same thing in his conversations with um, foreign leaders. He can be very charming. Um, he can also be very... Um, antagonistic. He called one of my colleagues a nasty guy, famously, which has been widely reported. Mm. Well, we wish you luck in your coverage going forward. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. And Presumably, you've not had any negative feedback from Mr. Bannon himself in response to your article? No. Francis Dead Sellers from the Washington Post, who did write that article, uh, trying to understand Bannon's worldview, really interesting in itself. Um, And by the way, talking about who South Korea speaks to, yesterday there was a a phone conversation between Yoon Byung-se, the foreign minister here, and uh, Rex Tillerson, new secretary of state in the United States. And we did see James Mattis visit Korean soil last week, as well as Donald Trump holding phone conversation with Hwang Gyo-an, acting president here. So definitely there's a lot of dialogue going on, but is Steve Bannon behind the scenes of it all? Pound a sharp, 1013 for 51 per message.